happens to be true. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYHQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, PA on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Radio Sputnik five days a week. Now, you know, the broadcast is usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but to me... But today, it's me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, holding down the fort. Now, it's a big weekend as the Democrats caucus in Nevada, the Republicans vote in South Carolina, and the ugly is intense and everywhere. Now, on Thursday night, I was watching that MSNBC Democratic Forum from Nevada, and I saw what I believe is the first attack ad launched against Bernie Sanders. Of course, it, you know, it was a typical attack ad. It was filled with lies, misrepresentations, and out-of-context quotes, so typical. But I was curious as to who is behind the ad. It was paid for by Future 45. So I went searching for Future 45, and thankfully, Zed Jelani wrote about it at The Intercept. And he tells us, Future 45 is run by a longtime Republican operative named Brian O. Walsh. And that over the last year, Future 45 has been funded primarily by hedge fund managers, including two of Marco Rubio's personal billionaire backers, a guy named Ken Griffin, who runs Citadel, and Paul Singer. Now, When I hear the name Paul Singer, all of a sudden my ears perk up. I immediately think of investigative journalist Greg Pallast, who's been on a quest to expose Singer for the, well, vulture that he is. So Greg Pallast will join us later in the hour to tell us all about the vulture, Paul Singer. But first, back to that MSNBC forum, okay? Although I personally continue to be inspired by Bernie Sanders, I couldn't help but notice the ever-widening divide on the left. So I was drawn to a piece on that divide that I read at Crooks and Liars from Democratic consultant and strategist Mike Lux. I've been meaning to invite you on the show. I, 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 I'm almost embarrassed to say I have not read your book, The Progressive Revolution, How the Best in America Came to Be, but I keep hearing people raving about it. So it is on my <laughs> list. Um, you know, Howie Klein is one of those who, who wrote about it not too yes. long ago. And I started hearing from listeners saying, who is this Mike Lux guy? Um, and so uh, and now you have a piece up that really it hit home with me. Uh, it's at Crooks and Liars, and it's called New Poll Shows Deep Split in the Democratic Party. Not a very creative topic. 
title, but it says what it says. <laughs> and, and what yes. we know that there is a, this split in the Democratic Party. Um, and people like me are grappling with it. I don't. Did you watch the thing on MSNBC last night, the forum with with Hillary and, and Bernie Sanders? You, you know, I, I had a chance to watch part of it, although uh, uh, it, it was a crazy night last night. And I uh, I've been working a lot uh, on the court nomination uh, oh. fight and there, there, there's all kinds of stuff going on with that. So I, o- I only saw part of it. Um, uh, but I, you know, I, I do think I do think what's going on is it's very worrisome to me. Uh, uh, although there's, I, I do think there's also great potential if we could figure out how to bring all this together when it's over. Um, but, but I mean, the democratic base is increasing. The good news is the democratic base is increasingly becoming a majority of American voters. You know, people have always talked about, you know, each party has a base and then there's these swing voters who decide everything. Well, well, the fact is, if you look at what the democratic base is, are the numbers in in those base groups far outstrip, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Republican numbers, but also uh, even if you include swing. Um, and Steve Phillips has a great new book out. I don't know if you've had a chance to to read it. No, but I saw you mention it in this in this post at Crooks and Liars. Yeah. So Steve. Steve basically just went through the numbers and, uh, uh, you know, and, and did some really did a deep dive. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and basically, you know, Steve's argument is if you look at, you know, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asian-Americans, which are increasingly uh, democratic and progressive, they, they used to be more of a swing group, but now they're moving very strongly our way and they're they're immigrating to this country in in big numbers, um, you, you know, you, you add in other immigrant groups like from Africa, from from the Middle East, um, uh, you know, and, and other places around the world, um, and then you combine those with unmarried women who tend to vote heavily Democratic. Mm-hmm. Young younger voters have have been consistently voting heavily Democratic ever since 2006. So that's now you know. Uh, um, you know, uh, 10 years in a row. Um, and, and, and then, you know, and then the traditional democratic groups like LGBT, uh, you know, union members, even though it's a shrinking part of the population, still significant. Um, anyway, you add the numbers up and, and that quote unquote base is, uh, over 55% of the electorate. Um, and so, uh, you know, we can win elections if we are united and turn people out. The, the the scary thing is that that base is like divided right down the middle in this Sanders-Hillary fight. Now, when you and, say it's divided right down the middle, are you, I, I mean, how? Because, uh, again, this this base is a is a is a melting pot gee go figure yeah. it's what yeah. this country is supposed to be but when you say down the middle there are a lot of different groups in this larger group is it down the middle of each of the individual groups or are you saying like the, the a lot of the uh, the the certain um, demographic groups or, or Asians or Hispanics are, are pulling for Bernie but the whites and the African Americans are going for Hillary where what do you mean down the middle uh, what I mean is, diff- is the different demographic groups uh, within that within that bigger, you, you know, uh, majority, uh, uh, you know, vote um, are, are are splitting for different candidates. 
Hillary is getting um, close to two-thirds of the African-American vote right. if you look sort of state by state. Um, she's getting more of the Hispanic vote, although I think that's, you know, it, our our poll was of, was of Super Tuesday states, and so there weren't as many Hispanics uh, polled in it. Texas was actually the only state where there were enough people in the poll to – to, to, to even to even have it be, uh, you know, uh, a, a subgroup that you could that you could do cross tabs on, um, uh, because the you know uh, partly because a lot of the Hispanics in the Deep South don't don't vote; they're too young, or or they're not citizens yet. Um, but uh, but Hispanics are trending toward Hillary. Um, uh, some categories of unmarried women are trending toward Hillary, but, but others are trending toward Bernie. Bernie is getting overwhelming as, as I think everyone knows the overwhelming numbers on young people, um, and, and on sort of the white progressives, the kind of classic white progressives. Um, so some demographic groups are splitting more, but a lot of it is that the different demographic groups that are part of the democratic base, are are trending heavily one you know yeah. for one candidate so or another that that's fascinating now what what was it look it, we uh, we it, you know sometimes americans have short memories it was a really contentious primary season 8 years ago between hillary clinton yep. and barack obama and there were many of yep. us myself included who thought there's no way we're going to bring these two sides together. And look, I guess we're a resilient crowd. And we realize that, <laughs> as I said earlier, uh, as you know, as much as I'm having trouble with a lot of the things Hillary Clinton says today, I find myself trying to curtail, to edit myself uh, on the fly, because I realize that there's a 50-50 chance she could be the nominee. And even on her worst day, yeah. she's going to be better than any of the Republicans on their best. So, yeah. you know, but uh, again, uh, but, but so the challenge is, how do we come out of this hole, you know, at convention time? Yeah. And, you know, I think a, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, one, one is that primaries are always contentious. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like family fights, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're fighting with your, your brother or your sister uh, or, or your mom, uh, you, 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 you tend to get more intense and more wigged out than, uh, than if you're fighting with some, somebody that you barely know, right? Right, uh, but and, then and there's so, also, you hold grudges. I have a sister I don't talk to, haven't in years. So yeah, and, you know, and, and yes, and you hold grudges and, that, you know, you see that. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, I mean, Donald Trump or Ted Cruz, one of these characters, they're going to be great uniters for for Democrats. Uh, yes. People might not be happy with who with if their candidate loses the primary, but they're going to take a look at, at Donald Trump and the and the crap that he's spewing, and they're going to be like, you know what, I'm I, I'm I'm more than happy to vote in this. I might, I might not be as enthusiastic as I would have been if if my candidate had won, but. Uh, but I, I, you know, I got to get to the polls, and I, and so uh, I, I do think, uh, I do, you know, I'm I'm a person who uh, um, I used to get involved in primary fights in the presidential all the time early in my career. That's a lot of what I did, but um, I've stayed out in recent years because I sort of feel like, you know, I want to stay focused on on, you know, uh, the, the the bigger prize, which is winning the general election. And and so if I can help sort of bring people together after the primary is over, I think that's a better role for me uh, right right now at least. Well, you're gonna, you're going to have your work cut out for you. With, 
with that. Um, Mike Lux is with us again. Um, uh, democracypartners.com is, is your sort of a, 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 your co-founder of that group. Our friend Joel Silberman, who's with us uh, most every Monday morning. Uh, and my listeners love Joel. Of course, everybody loves Joel. You know, he always yeah. he talks about messaging and how to communicate what, you know, we're saying. I can't wait uh, till Monday because uh, Joel was off this this week um, to get his thoughts on how this race is going. I, I really think the challenge is going to be harder this time to bring the two sides together because it is just it is so ugly. And again, it, it, it may be no uglier than it was eight years ago, because if memory serves, that was pretty down and dirty, too. Yeah, um, and we came out OK. I want to ask you, though, uh, Mike Lux, when we started talking, you said you've been wrapped up with the, the court nomination fight. So I, I don't know if you can share anything, but um, this is. You know, again, we live in opposite world. You got the Republicans saying, well, Obama's only got uh, 11 months left in his term. Sorry, he doesn't get to nominate the new justice, which is absurd. Um, And now, you know, I just had the news and I I get a live news report from this uh, uh, organization that does news for talk radio shows. So obviously they've got a lot of right wingers. And Victoria Jones today said every almost every single uh, Republican host she spoke to today agrees that, of course, Obama has the right to nominate somebody and should. And there there should be hearings. So this might be a case where uh, Mitch McConnell, again, overstepped uh, himself in his obstructive goals or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I think he made uh, a terrible mistake uh, by coming out uh, literally within minutes. Yeah of the announcement of Scalia's death to say that they would not they would not even consider uh, a nominee. I, I I think I think it exposed him as, you know, cravenly uh politically political. And I, I think that, you know, I think the first phase of the fight is really gonna be a debate about uh about process. And I don't like I don't tend to like process debates because I I, I don't think most people, you know, in America care. But I think on in this case, phase one of this fight, it's really important that people understand how ridiculous these arguments are. I, I mean, and, and by the way, they were the opposite arguments that McConnell and other people were making uh, uh, back back during, you know, the, the, the Bush years. Uh, they were saying every judge deserves a vote. Every vote should happen soon. You know, I mean, they were they were saying all kinds of th- things like that. And, and now they're saying the opposite. But I mean, we just yesterday was the anniversary of when Anthony Kennedy was confirmed right. in Reagan in Reagan's last year uh, of office. So to say that you you can't do it in the last year is just blatantly uh, absurd. Uh, um, and so I look. I think honestly, I think Democrats win this one either way um, because if they actually obstruct uh, a Supreme Court justice for a year. Screwing up two terms of the Supreme Court, ma- ma- making making you know four to four votes on issue after issue. Uh, I think that then the election will be about the court, and we win that. I mean, Citizens United is the most unpopular decision ever in American history, uh, but you know by the polling, people hate that decision. You want it really? Do the Republicans want to make this about Citizens United? Do they want to make it about the Voting Rights Act? Do they want to make it about uh, you know whether whether cleaning up you know uh, carbon out of the atmosphere is a good idea. I mean, if they want to make that about those issues, we win that fight. Yes. Uh, 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 on the other hand, obviously, it would be better to have like uh, 
you know, a, 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 a sane, rational nominee uh, uh, be confirmed for the court. So I, either way, I think we win politically. Obviously, what's better for the country is to have this, the, the, the ninth Supreme Court justice uh, you know, in place. Well, of course. And that's what reasonable, you know, intelligent thinking adults believe. And probably, I mean, I, I have no doubt that if the reverse were true in an alternate universe, it's Mitt Romney who is in office and the same thing happens, you know that they'd be right there with a nominee. And the, 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 and, and the Democrats would never even suggest such a ridiculous thing, that, that the sitting president doesn't have the right to... Uh, name a successor. But, you know, here's the, the interesting thing. The, the, the presidential elections should always be about the Supreme Court. Um, I have a button. And Mike, I know you used to work with uh, People for the American Way, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, just a brilliant, amazing organization founded by Norman Lear. Um, I'm on the uh, YouTube screen. I have a button, a picture of a button that I picked up in an event in D.C. Um, during the 2012 election cycle. And it's a button from People for the American Way with a, a drawing of the Supreme Court. And underneath it says, it's the Supreme Court, stupid, with an Obama <laughs> 2012 banner be- beneath it. Well, actually, it should always be about the Supreme Court because yes. that that is, I think, the most important thing that the president does is he makes a lifetime appointment to the court. And it could change, especially in this case. Uh, you know, we've had a five to four Republican leaning court and you got Scalia, um, probably not even arguably one of the most right wing uh, conservative justices, certainly in recent history, um, leaving. And so this would tip the scales. It should always be about the Supreme Court. Will this, you think, bring it into so that the average person out there who doesn't pay as much attention as we do to politics gets that message? Uh, I, well, certainly, if if uh, the Republicans refuse to uh, uh, confirm uh, the nominee, it will be. I, I mean, I, it, this is going to be every time there's a four to four vote, the the media is going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time there's a there's a decision that they decide they they need to wait on, um, the the you know the, the media is going to go crazy. This is going to be such a central, central issue. And that, that's why I say th- this would be, you know, if politically, this would be uh, a dream for the Democrats. Uh, we, we, we would so win this fight and I would be, you know, I, I'd be delighted to have this be the number one issue in the election. Because as you say, it should be every time. Should be. Uh, but it rarely is. It rarely has been in the past. But I do think this would change everything. You know, if they end up caving uh, and and they they give us uh, uh, you know the confirmation, it might be less so. But it, but but the debate about this, I think, is going to teach people a lot about the court and and make a difference. Good. Well, you know, and, good. And, and how people view it. So. That, that's important. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. All right, Mike Lux, uh, final question, and it's a two-parter. Uh, you are a consultant and a strategist. You work with uh, candidates, uh, uh, of course, progressive candidates. Um, if you were uh, asked for one piece of advice to both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, what would you say to each of them? <laughs> well, I actually wrote uh, I wrote a, a piece uh uh, 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 right after New Hampshire, where uh, actually right after Iowa, where uh, I, I I said Hillary, embrace your inner Bernie, uh, and, and my my advice in that piece to her was, you know, you're not going to win 
this election, either the primary or the general, by uh, by by doing this small ball stuff. You know, the the frame that has developed about the incrementalist versus the big ideas guy, Bernie is going to win that uh, race, and I think it is such a mistake for her to to uh, go small on everything and to say she doesn't. You know, she doesn't think big change is possible. She doesn't want to uh, make big change. Uh, that Bernie's unrealistic. I think that is. Uh, I think that is a terrible political strategy. And so, my my number one bit of advice to her, um, it, you know, is is to is to change that dynamic. Um, my my number one bit of advice to uh, uh, to, to Bernie's okay. campaign is. Um, uh, you know, I, I I would say that the great thing about Bernie and and the potential weakness of Bernie is that he is so focused on on his message. Um, he's one of the best candidates I've ever seen for staying focused on one one message, and that's a great great thing. It's a strength. But but I also think I, I what I would I advise, and this partly comes out of watching the town hall last night, is. Bernie really needs to listen to uh, listen to voters as he's out campaigning, and to to really respond to their their concerns and their uh, sometimes nuanced uh, worries about about the issues. I don't think he always does that very well um, because he's so focused on his message, and right. his message is great, and it's a, you know obviously it's working well for him, but I think he's so focused on it. That he sometimes forgets to, uh, uh, you know, to really answer people's questions and to really listen to what yeah. folks are saying. Uh, so anyway, that would be my that would be my advice for Bernie. Okay, uh, like okay, one last question: Did you ever, in a million years, think that now on uh, what is it, February nineteenth, uh, as we're heading into the Nevada caucus uh, tomorrow, uh, that it would be a competitive race on the Democratic side? You know, I thought it might be, um, but I I don't I didn't think it would be this competitive. <laughs> you know, I actually thought that Bernie might. Uh, do do as well as he did uh, in Iowa. I thought he would win New Hampshire, um, but I didn't know I didn't know if he'd have sort of staying power after that. But clearly he does. He he sur- seems to be surging in Nevada. We don't know because it's a caucus and caucuses are notoriously hard to pull. But um, but he seems like he's got uh, some legs in this race and, and some running room and. Uh, uh, yeah, you know we're we're living in very uh, <laughs> very unique political times. And uh, a decade ago, I I would have said that you know I'm not going to see a black president in my lifetime, right. uh, let alone one with an African Muslim name. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, and and not that long ago, I would have said we'll never see a socialist, openly socialist president or a Jewish president, or, right? Or, or 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 a Jewish president, uh, you know. I mean, we're living in wild times, and I do think people need to open their minds and realize there's a lot more that's possible than we realize in American politics, um, both good and bad, by the way. I mean, it's the, 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 the it could never happen here thing obviously is not true because Donald Trump could be our next president. Ted Cruz could be our next president. Uh, or Bernie know, Sanders I, could be our next president. You know? Well, Bernie Sanders could be our next president, and I think people need to open their minds and realize that there, there is more possible in in our politics than than the sort of narrow range of choices we've traditionally had. So, and I think 
that's that's a lot more good than bad. Right. Absolutely. We're, we are no longer relegated to the lesser of two evils. Exactly. Exactly. We need to realize that and, and uh, think that way about our politics. Great. And Mike Lux, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I really appreciate it. The book is uh, that we should all pick up, The Progressive Revolution, How the Best in America Came to Be. Check out democracypartners.com. You work with a whole great crew of people over there uh, working uh, within that under that umbrella. Um, Mike Lux, great talking with you. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Nicole. It's fun to be on. Find Mike Lux on the Twitters at Progressive Lux, that's L-U-X, or at democracypartners.com. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. You're a trusty guest host for today's edition of the broadcast. We'll take a quick break and come back with Greg Pallast, investigative journalist, to tell us all about Paul the Singer Vulture next. All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com in for Brad and Desi today. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I happened to be watching the MSNBC Democratic Forum on Thursday night when I saw what I believe is the first Super PAC attack ad launched at Bernie Sanders. So I wanted to find out who was behind it. It was a group called Future 45, and it turns out that one of the biggest contributors to Future 45 is Paul the Vulture Singer. When I hear the name of Paul Singer, I think of one investigative reporter. Joining us on the line is an old friend. Uh, He is an investigative journalist at a time when uh, that profession might be a dying breed. When we need more of them. Greg Pallast, hi, welcome to the broadcast. Lovely to be with you once again. I think about you often. I know you're doing great work, and I know that, you you know, oftentimes you sort of disappear when you're in the middle of a big story. But I thought of you, I thought of you yesterday when I saw this um, smear ad, an attack ad on Bernie Sanders that was put out by a group called Future 45. And so I I started Googling Future 45 to find out who these people are. And I found a great piece by Zed Jelani at The Intercept that explains Future 45 is this super PAC run by a, a longtime Republican operator named Brian Walsh. But that over the last year, Future 45 has been funded primarily by hedge fund managers. And they named two. Two who happen to be Rubio's personal billionaires. One, a guy named Ken Griffin. And the other... Paul Singer. And the minute I saw Paul Singer, I thought, ah, got to call Greg Pallast because I learned all about Paul Singer from you and your book, Vulture's Picnic. Uh, So did you know that that, uh, Paul Singer was running smear ads against Bernie Sanders? Of course he is. And I certainly know that. And he knows that I'm, that one of the reasons I've been quiet is I've been on the hunt for Mr. Singer. He's been on the hunt for me. It's uh, like uh, Mortiarty and Holmes. And um, I have been tracking this guy. He really is. Um, he is almost the cartoon evil genius. Paul Singer, his nickname is 
the vulture. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, and that's from his, that was given uh, to him by his friends. Uh, (laughs) I kid you not. He is a, uh, and his investors, because he is, um, there are, let's put it this way, like most uh, uh, corpse chewers, he's shunned even by the bankers and by, you know, like Goldman Sachs think he, think he is an evil, greedy capitalist. That's how they've written about him. So in Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan and Citibank say you are a greedy, evil capitalist. <laughs> Take my word for it. This guy is a serious piece of work. In fact, I have a very good close-up of him at gregpalace.com under an article called Who Hatched <laughs> Rubio? I'm looking at it Singer right the now. Vulture. It's, it's a gift. Yes, he's it's, chewing no. on the... right. And uh, and so if you go to greatpals.com, I, I don't want people to miss this uh, no. this uh, special inside uh, um, info. So let me tell you about Singer and for two things. Number one, the Koch brothers are not the top donors to the Republican Party, despite uh, Lay's mythology. They, they, they're, they're not even Republicans, by the way. Um, Paul Singer, Paul the Vulture, yeah. is in fact the number one donor to the Republican Party. He is number one backer of Karl Rove, a uh, little uh, schemey, little uh, nasty vote suppression operation called American Crossroads. He's the number one donor to, uh, and he is the number one leading donor to Marco Rubio. Yeah. Now, uh, what's interesting is Singer has got a lot of protection from uh, the press. Like you won't hear a bad word on MSNBC about this guy. Why? Um, and, and let me tell you how he makes his money. This is first, so this is very important to know. I've been on the hunt for this guy for BBC Television and the Guardian newspapers for nine years. Wow. This is a billionaire. He's listed as three billion. That's probably a third of his wealth. Uh, but he's a whatever. He's a multi-billionaire. And the way he makes it is he does he does feast off of dead things, dead nations, dead people, dead corporations. I kid you not. My first uh, uh, investigation of him took me to the Congo, where he had figured out how to seize, and I'm not making this up, the, the funds meant to end the cholera epidemic in the Congo. Oh, my. Uh, the, the Congo had a, the, there are two nations called Congo. The Congos had the civil wars, which took the lives of three million people. Uh, they are now uh, back in uh, somewhat democratic nations now with, uh, th- with economies that are trying to grow. And uh, Singer, during the Civil War and cholera epidemic, bought some old junk bonds issued by one of the old Congo, uh, Republic of Congo dictatorship. And uh, he paid about $10 million for these worthless pieces of paper. You and I, as American taxpayers, wrote off all the debt that the Congo owed us. So now they have a new government, let's give them a chance to write off all the money that they owe us. And so did Europe and the World Bank and everyone. But that meant that the only guy left holding Congo debt was the vulture. So when they, the Congo, when all, we took all, we wrote off billions of dollars, you and I, the taxpayers. We then sent Congo money to end the cholera epidemic and Singer said, oh, I've got these old bonds. And he demanded and got over $100 million for his $10 million uh, so-called investment. And that's a 1,000% return. That's nothing. Then he hit another third world nation, the nation, the third world nation of Detroit, um, uh, of the U.S. auto industry. During uh, This is an unknown story because he made sure that it was buried in the U.S., even though I put it on the cover of Nation magazine. 
then that's another way to bury things, um, is that he, um, during the auto bailout, Paul the Vulture Singer, now if you've just come in, Paul the Vulture Singer, I'm, this is Greg Palace. Paul the Vulture Singer is the number one backer of Marco Rubio, right. he's the number one backer of Future 45, mm-hmm. which is uh, running hit ads against Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, yep. Yep. and uh, he's the number one backer of Karl Rove and the Republican Party. So the vulture in the U.S., when um, GM went into bankruptcy and Chrysler went into bankruptcy during the auto bailout, um, he secretly grabbed control of the General Motors Auto Parts Division, which had been, uh, turned into a separate company called Delphi, you know, the old Delco batteries. Sure, right. He told the U.S. government, he told the U.S. government, if you don't give me 12, me and my partners, $12 billion, we're cutting off GM's parts, literally. We will not ship parts to GM. Now, you have to understand, shipping parts to GM, these factories are all together in one, literally sometimes same building. And um, um, GM, the government said, how long can you go without the parts from the Vulture? And the chairman of General Motors said, 24 hours. Oh, boy. So President Obama authorized giving this guy $12 billion. It was pure extortion. And in fact, the Treasury Department called it extortion, but they paid it. Then he went down to Argentina. Okay, the guy made, the guy made a 3,000% profit, 3,000% profit, personally put a billion bucks in his pocket. Then he ran down to Argentina, got some old Argentine debt from the Argentine, the old Argentine dictatorship. The current our current government, an allied government, um, he then demanded for $50 million, he demanded $3 billion. Again, he wanted a 6,000% profit immediately. And um, then he not only sued Argentina, he sued um, all the, the major banks, he sued everyone. He basically said, I'm going to bring down the entire economy of the Western Hemisphere because he could bankrupt several right. banks, big banks. Our- Greg I'll Pallas. bring down the economy yeah. of the Western Hemisphere unless you pay me money. There's a new government which just, he wanted $3 billion. They just offered him $6 billion. Now he said, no, I want more. That was now, okay, so uh, let me, we'll get back to this in a second. But Greg Pallas, let me ask you, he's breaking laws. Extortion is, is illegal. Mm-hmm. How does he get away with this? Why is Paul the vulture singer still walking around? Um, one, two, there are two reasons. One, his activities are illegal in place in most of the world, but not the U.S., because he owns so many politicians. He, he owns, like I say, he owns Marco Rubio. Right. In fact, Marco Rubio um, was, was out there. Marco Rubio made unethical, and, I'm, and I don't use that term lightly, mm-hmm. he made unethical approaches to the State Department to... Um, to tell the State Department to put pressure on our ally, Argentina, to give in to, the, uh, to his extortionate demands on Argentina. It is pure extortion. But it, again, it's illegal in most of the world, but not in the U.S., because, because he owns too many politicians, and therefore he gets, uh, he gets the protection. Now, I have to say that Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, went into U.S. federal court to stop the vulture from his attack on our ally Argentina. And he's furious. I mean, her statement to the court was, this guy's going to bring down the world financial system. He is a danger. Mm -hmm. Stop him now. And so that's it. That's why he immediately said, okay, 
okay, lady, I'll tell you what. Um, I, you know, he's going to put in his millions, and I wouldn't be surprised if he'll put in $100 million this year to wipe out Hillary Clinton. Then he sees Bernie on the rise, also going out against people like him, hedge fund managers, and uh, he immediately, uh, so he's attacking Bernie too. He's attacking Bernie. Here's a guy who's worth at least $3 billion minimum. Right. And he is attacking the Bernie's call for a higher minimum wage. Right, because he's, look. A, a really nice guy. Right. Well, but you look at the company he keeps. Uh, I don't know if they pal around, but they're in the same financial bracket. You look at, uh, you know, Donald Trump, who uh, anytime he mentions Bernie, he calls him crazy. He says oh, he's a communist and he wants to raise your taxes to 95 percent, all of which are lies. Uh, but this is what they do. The thing is, why don't we know? Uh, uh, people who read Greg Palace know who uh, Paul Singer is. But why doesn't the American public know his name like they know the Koch brothers' names or, uh, you know, well, Donald Trump is a, an animal unto himself. But why, why isn't right. uh, Paul Singer as well-known as the Koch brothers? Because number, we, there are two reasons. We have, a, uh, we have a scared press and we have a lazy press. And when I say scared, let me tell you something. I put that story I told you which you can still, by the way, get at gregpalace.com about how Paul the Vulture Singer extorted $12 billion from the U.S. Treasury. He was on the cover, the cover of Nation Magazine the week before the 12 election. And by the way, the reason it was on the cover is called Romney's Bailout Billionaires because the secret partner, Paul Singer's secret partner, is the so-called blind trust of Ann Romney. Wow. Like that? Okay, so he enriched, he put $100 million into the Romney's pockets. People think that Romney made his money from Bain. That's not true. It came from the, Paul the Vulture. And what happened is I put out that story on the cover, and the AP was about to cover it, which would uh, put it in every American newspaper. And then the AP reporter told me that he was, for the first time in his 30-year career, he was called by his bosses in Washington and said, you may not touch the story. <gasps> you can't even say that Greg Palace and the nation allege and Singer denies or whatever he wants to say. You cannot breathe a word of this story. His minions call up and threaten stations. I wouldn't be surprised if you get a call threatening you. He called up, his, his goons called up BBC television and said, back off palace stories on Paul Singer, because in Britain, my stories are at the top of the nightly news. The stories about Singer have been front page news everywhere in the world. The front page of the entire front page of the Guardian newspaper uh, that goes all over the world. But in the U.S., everyone's scared. He called BBC television and said, back off. Uh, don't carry palace story. We have a file on Greg Palace. Ooh. You know, so he has a deep, <laughs> nasty file on me. And, and then, but see, my producers had more guts at BBC in Britain. They said, well, yeah, so everyone, so you have a file on Greg Palace. You want to send us a copy? No problem. But we're going to run this. We're going to run his file on you. Ooh. And, and see, no one, no newspaper in the U.S. would dare dare touch it. There was one single negative report on Singer many years ago in the New York Times. That reporter, I've looked for his, for his byline, has never been heard from again in the pages of the New York Times. Um, and since then, there have been several glowing reports about him, 
about Paul the Vulture Singer. And go to my, you know, you, again, if you're listening to Greg Powell's, go to gregpowell's.com. You can see who hatched Rubio, Paul the Vulture Singer. And the, one of the reasons he has protection, too, is he gets all these glowing stories because he's the number one backer. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Funder of, of the movement for gay marriage rights. His son is married to a man. So now you have to ask yourself, how could a guy whose son is married to a man, okay, yeah. how could he back a guy like Rubio who wants to literally turn his son's marriage into a crime? How could you do that to your own family? The answer is because the one thing a billionaire wants is another billion. And he would throw his son under a bus. He would tag his son as a criminal and break up his marriage. Why? Because Rubio is, going to, is, is doing everything he wants. And by the way, you might ask, why doesn't he back his, you know, his billionaire uh, a crony Trump or, or Jeb? Yeah. You know when he came out against Jeb and it came out again and, wouldn't, and, has, and doesn't like Trump? Because Trump and Jeb have joined Hillary and Bernie. This is the weirdest combination ever. Trump and Jeb Hillary and Bernie, Bernie. Okay. Trump and Jeb yeah. agree on one thing, that Paul Singer and his buddies who get, who get a special tax rate, a special tax loophole called carried interest, right. which is how Romney kept paid so low. The reason Romney's tax is so low is this loophole called carried interest. It only applies to hedge fund billionaires. And those four said that loophole has to close. Immediately, Singer endorsed Rubio. Wow. Because and kicked the legs out under Jeb Bush and, you know, is at war with his billionaire buddy Trump. Because Trump says, you know, at least I build casinos and hotels. Does I actually build something? You know, whatever else you think of Trump, you know, he, he builds stuff. Right, you know? right. He ripped off the United States Treasury. He's attacking our ally Argentina again. Hillary Clinton stand, stood directly in his way and made him furious. He was going to just destroy her. And then he realized, he started running attack ads for her, and he realized, oh, no, if I run attack ads against Hillary, I'm going to end up with Bernie, not exactly a guy who's going to kiss a hedge fund manager on the mouth, right? So then he has to attack Bernie, too. And then he had to get rid of Bush because Bush came out on the wrong side of his tax loophole, and so we end up with uh, little Marco dancing to his tune. Marco Rubio, by the way, besides making unethical uh, demands on the State Department to back this guy against our ally, he should never, no senator ever, ever should uh, go to the State Department to ask that foreign policy be changed for his donor. I mean, that's about as creepy as it gets. But Rubio then made another switch. Um, you know, when uh, Griffin, you know, is backing money and, and, and others have, are attacking Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is in bankruptcy, right. but they can't officially declare bankruptcy. Rubio, because there's so many Puerto Ricans in uh, Florida, had originally said, well, this is crazy. Why can't Puerto Rico have the same rights as any other American territory or state? Pu only Puerto Rico is not allowed to go to, to a bankruptcy court for help like Donald Trump has done four times, as he's pointed out. Why can't Puerto Rico? And the answer is because, because Singer's buddies are attacking Puerto Rico, and uh, so they don't want Puerto Rico to have bankruptcy protection. And um, so Rubio switched his position because of his backers. I mean, that's about as creepy as it gets. He sided with his own backers 
against his own constituents. And you know, Puerto Rico, that is America. These are American <laughs> yes, citizens. Yes, it is. But right now I'm making a film yes. based on my uh, books, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy and Billionaires and Ballot Bandits. And it's going to have an entire section on Paul the Vulture Singer. I have twice done stakeouts. Uh, I've done four stakeouts on this guy. He's the slipperiest of all the billionaires. You know, for those who know Greg Palace, I do old gumshoe investigative reporting. Yes. That means stakeouts at dawn and stuff like that. <laughs> this is the one guy who's always on the lookout for me. And um, in fact, I went to a Rubio. He held a Rubio fundraiser in New York, and I snuck in with a pretty second-rate disguise, I will admit, <laughs> and under a false name, and. Um, and two guys who looked like Steven Seagal's bigger brothers um, surrounded me and bumped, you know, just literally physically um, <laughs> sandwiched me and then started, then started talking to Singer in, in through little uh, Dick Tracy radios in their sleeves. <gasps> I can't make this up. They're talking in their sleeves. We've got Greg Palast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I decided I'd interview Mr. Singer through this through this galoot sleeve. <laughs> so I said, Mr. Oh, Singer, why exactly do you need to buy the White House? You know, and <laughs> uh, what, what use do you have for uh, buying the White House for Marco Rubio? Um, and I didn't get an answer through the sleeve, but uh, I'll, I'll get an answer yet. All right. I know you will. And, and so is that on video? I do have it on video. Mm-hmm. Wait till the film comes out. The best yes, democracy uh, money can buy is currently being uh, produced, and you're you're doing you know what we do, uh, asking for your readers, your viewers to join in and be producers, be citizen producers, and all the yeah. details are at gregpalace.com. Of course, when you speak with Greg Palace, you know he's never working on just one thing, and certainly he had a few words to say about the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. So we'll take a break, come back on the other side with more from investigative journalist Greg Pallast with me, your guest host, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com on the broadcast. All right, we are back. Nicole Sandler in for Brad and Desi at the Bradcast. We're still speaking with investigative journalist Greg Palast, who was telling us a lot about Paul the Vulture Singer. But of course, Greg Palast also has a Scalia story to share. And it has to do with voter suppression. I know, you're shocked. In, 19, in 2005, Indiana was the first state to uh, re- have a nasty voter ID law. What I mean by nasty, it said you have to have a current photo ID. Ten nuns walk into, this is not a, it sounds like an opening of a, of a, of a bad joke. joke, right? Ten nuns walk into a polling station, <laughs> right? And, and the, uh, the, the, the poll workers say, uh, scram, sisters, um, you can't vote here because you need, um, you need a photo ID, and they, they all produce their driver's licenses, which photo IDs. And um, they said no good because the driver's licenses had expired. 
Well, of course, because the, the sisters were all in their 80s and 90s and no longer, gratefully, drove. Right. But they kept their driver's license. Just because their driver's license is expired doesn't mean that they expired. <laughs> it's still them and their faces. But they could not vote. This actually went to the Supreme Court. So the 10 nuns go to the voting booth. They're told, scram sisters, because they have no good ID. It goes to the Supreme Court. Why? Because while the, some of the press covered the 10 nuns getting booted from the polling booth because it was a cute story. What they left out was 78,000 African-Americans in Indiana lost the right to vote. Why? Because those were the African-Americans who don't have driver's licenses because they don't have cars. So people in America who don't have driver's licenses tend to be, meaning students, poor folk, especially African-Americans and Hispanic, and the elderly. Guess how they vote? Okay, an Indiana judge, the fed, a federal judge, looked at the law and said, this is racially offensive, and, it is, and his quote is, it's a thinly veiled attempt to eliminate voting groups who skew Democratic. And he said, guess what? You can't do that. Good you can't say Democrats can't vote here. Black people can't vote. So, uh, so it went to the Supreme Court. And um, Scalia who's known as the great jokester from the bench. And always the butt of his jokes are poor people, the injured, uh, those harmed, people facing execution. Those are the uh, the people always the butt of his jokes. So he said, so the state of Indiana said, you know, we're not discriminating against poor people and people who don't have uh, cars because you can always go get a non-driver photo ID from, the, from a county seat. The ACLU and the other organizations bringing the case, they brought in experts and they said, it takes a minimum, the average voter, poor voter, lives 17 miles from a county seat. It takes two buses in each direction on average to get to the county seat. Then you have to have papers. You have to pay f- uh, fees, which are like a poll tax. And it's a lost day of work. It's an all-day operation, sure. which, you know, wealthier white people, people with passports like Paul the Vulture Singer, um, don't have to worry about. And why should, the, why should it be current? I mean, does it matter if someone's still driving or not? What does that have to do with voting? And here's the thing. In 100 years of record-keeping, not one single person has been found to commit the crime of voting using someone else's identification, right. using someone else's name. Impersonation fraud literally doesn't exist in America. There's something like, and I looked it up, there are about three cases a year, a year, in, out of a third of a billion Americans, of impersonation fraud and, and voter fraud. Yet here to prevent this non-crime, 78,000 African Americans lost their vote. And, and to today, this is uh, now costing about 5 million people the right to vote as these, once Scalia's decision came down. And by the way, so Scalia, by the way, uh, and I said that there were 17 miles between, um, from, between the voter and, and the county offices. Scalia's smart-ass quip was, uh, well, whether you're black or white, 17 miles is 17 miles. Whether you're rich or poor, 17 miles is 17 miles. Now, I happen to know that Scalia had a black 
BMW. Mm-hmm. Now, 17 miles in a black... I know this because he got a ticket for reckless driving. Um, one of our weirder investigations. <laughs> in a Beamer going 65, you're talking a 15-minute cruise. Yes, and it doesn't. And it, he's probably correct. Whether your Beamer, whether your BMW is black or white, it's still just a 15-minute cruise <laughs> to cover those 17 miles. Yeah. Uh, but not for a poor, not for the poor folk who have to take two buses, take off a day of work. Why in America are we setting up Jim Crow obstacle courses? You know, and what I was also saying in the serious side of this, always he was snide about the the weak and defenseless. So you know, again. It didn't matter if, if it takes these people this time to vote because he is a partisan. This is the guy that, that was the big promoter of Bush v. Gore. Now, where yeah. in the Constitution does it say that, that uh, Judge Scalia, his vote to pick George Bush as president counts more than millions of Americans' votes? In the state of Florida, as you know, I did the, busted the story about how Catherine Harris and, and dear Jeb Bush oh, yeah. knocked off tens of thousands of black people, calling them felons, when their only crime was voting while black, and not a single one was an illegal vote. Not one was an illegal voter. And Scalia, ignoring that evidence, said, well, I'm going to pick uh, Bush. And he said, this, is, this, has no, this case will have no precedent, because he knew it was like nonsense law. He's just picking a president for us. against the you know, Even the Republicans admitted that Gore won, even if they want to fight about Florida, he certainly won the plurality of the national vote. This is the Democratic choice, and this guy single-handedly overturned the rights, the voting rights of Americans by basically throwing out the votes of black voters, always going after the defenseless. He called himself an originalist. You know, oh, I, he's, he goes back to the original intent of the framers, my behind. <laughs> Forget it. There is no way that, okay, first of all, you know, and uh, let's also remember that the framers, that Thomas Jefferson didn't write the 14th and 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment is very clear. It says neither the federal government nor the states may deny the right to vote to people on the basis of race. Yeah. And it's, it's right there in the law. And the abolitionist who wrote the law, believe me, did not think that they were authorizing Justice Scalia to put roadblocks in the way of black people voting. So all over the South, and don't forget, this was the, he was one of the right-wing five mm-hmm. who traded their black robes for white sheets to eliminate a gut, basically, it's still standing, the shell of it, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I, in part of my filming, let's go back down to Selma, Alabama, where the push for the Voting Rights Act began when Martin Luther King led thousands across a bridge. Four died on that march, hundreds were beaten yep. and bled. Yep. And Scalia said, oh, official racism in uh, blocking black people from voting, blocking right. people of color from voting, that's been, quote, and this is the quote, eradicated. Right. And this is the guy who just knocked out 78,000 black voters out of Indiana and opening the door to 5 million people losing their right to vote because they don't have current ID. It got to the point where he even authorized in places like Wisconsin that if you are a student with a photo ID, you can't vote. Right. Uh, well, but but if then you, you if can't use state your... ID. Right. 
You can't use right, your, you can use your, your gun license. Exactly. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that, that Brad Friedman is always pointing out. It's not, it has nothing to do with showing a, a photo ID to prove that you're who you say you are. It's the voter ID restrictions where there's restrictions on what you can use to prove you're who you say you are that are so unfair. I mean, that's the basic thing. If all they wanted to do was for you to prove that you are who you say you are, fine. You know, your signature is on file when you register to vote. Why don't they, everybody's got computers now, pull up the signature card online. You compare the signature, boom, you're in. Because it's not about verifying people. It's about keeping people from voting. It's not about a photo ID. It's about the photo ID restrictions that that are in place to keep people who would vote Democratic from voting. GregPalast.com is where you can get all this information. Greg Palast, it is always a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for jumping on with us today. And I should also add, if you go to GregPalast.com, you can download my full-color comic book, which I did with Ted Rawl and Bobby Kennedy. And uh, it's free to download, which includes the story of the nuns on the run from Justice Scalia. Right, that's Steal Back Your Vote which is yeah. still relevant today. So go go to gregpalace.com and, and get it. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Brad Blog's Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. Follow me on the Twitters at Nicole Sandler or come over to Radio or Not and check out my show. Brad and Desi will be back for the next exciting episode of the Bradcast. As always, thanks for listening. And as Brad says, good luck, world. Oh,